Welcome everyone to the Deep Dive, the podcast that skips small talk and goes straight for the concepts that shape our thinking and behavior. In this podcast, cold expertise is defenestrated as warm philosophy is enthroned in an attempt to explore the field in which we're all scientists looking for answers, living well. Hello world, welcome to another deep dive with Eyal Shai. My guest today is Daniel Vassalo. Hi Daniel. Hi Eyal, hello, thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on very much. Um, and I'll let you take the lead and introduce the topic we are going to discuss today. Yeah, so I think uh, as, you, as you mentioned to me before, we're going to talk about lifestyle first work and sort of uh, unconventional work arrangements where uh, instead of instead of thinking about you know maybe increasing financial potential or financial expected value or other things it's sort of the type of work where it starts from your desired lifestyle and then you try to fit work uh, that matches your lifestyle or enhances it yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm very fascinated by uh, the journey you're describing in your work. And I really want to go after the evolution of this type of, of thinking mm -hmm. uh, that leads you. Um, so if you don't mind taking us back to as far back as you see fitting and see the kind of the beginning of this idea has it always been the case that what mattered to you the most uh was your lifestyle um you know probably subconsciously yes but i wasn't really aware of it so, so i think you know my career started more or less uh, you know going at traditional route uh, after college i was working for a couple of small companies uh then about 10 years ago about uh, 2010 uh, i got hired by amazon right? so sort of a jump to a big corporation and you know going in initially i thought it was going to be temporary you know i and i sort of i knew that it was unlikely that i'm going to be liking working in a big bureaucratic sort of company right where you just one cog in sort of a big machine and so on and so forth but you know back then i thought it was a good thing because you know, I was, I was, I'm a software developer by background. I always liked tinkering with computers. It was an opportunity to sort of get exposed to uh, how, you know, a big company in, in tech works. Right? So I was looking forward to absorbing and learning and sort of getting exposed to something that I, 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 I wasn't exposed to before. Long story short, um, you know, after a few years at Amazon, you know, things were going on, were going well by many measures. You know, I was getting promoted, I was getting pay raises. Um, they, they invited me to move to, to the United States after a couple of years, which, which was great. Everything was going well, right? And I was told and it was clear that I had potential to keep growing and so on, so and so forth. Uh, the problem was that, uh, you know, as I was looking back at my life, right, sort of despite making, you know, a lot of money, despite things going well, getting promoted and working on my desire, sort of my dream projects 
and so on, so on. So the, I, I was noticing that my life wasn't particularly improving. Right? Uh, you know, I had uh, back then sort of I had two small kids, right? Sort of, and I was finding myself finding it hard to spend time with my family. For example, right? I was leaving home early, coming late-ish at night. Uh, feeling with no energy after I come from work, you know, on even on the weekends, even even if I wasn't working, there was always things on my mind related to work because there was lo lots of responsibilities, people waiting for things that that I needed something to do, like to unblock them. Very very sort of uh, uh, you know burdensome type of work arrangement. And apart from that, I was looking also at my colleagues, especially my peers who were maybe a few steps higher than me and similarly i wasn't really envying their lifestyle i mean envying in, in a good sense that i was I mean I, I wasn't i was thinking i don't want to be in their shoes right basically they were in the same situation or sometimes even worse than me and so and sort of this was an eye-opening reflection that sort of allowed me to reconsider that whether this was the right path for me um uh, and again probably if i were to measure uh the path from financial potential staying there would probably have been better right? just because you know it was a reasonably cushy job nevertheless it was highly paid there was still more money to make lots more opportunities and um you know financially it was definitely great but the fact that my life wasn't wasn't improving it made me ask myself like what's the point right what, what i was sort of meeting with friends and family who might be making a lot less money and sort of i was realizing that maybe they were enjoying their life better like they have more they had more flexibility they you know they weren't as constrained with their work as i was and things like that. So, so that was definitely the biggest uh, moment that where I realized I had picked a part. It was working by many traditional measures. Nevertheless, it wasn't sort of conducive to a good lifestyle for me. The problem was that I didn't really know exactly how to fix it right immediately. And um, sort of the, the 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 first thing I tried almost out of desperation <laughs> was to the, the, realize like, you know, I need to close off this chapter, right, working in big tech, and I'm going to try to do to work for myself, right? And I, you know, I didn't think it was a huge risk, right? If it didn't work, I could always go back, right? So it was mm -hmm. at least some way to randomize things and see if if I can make things better. So, sort of, that's the genesis of it, I would say. That's how uh, how it, it started. Um, and then, sort of, happy to continue to talk about sort of the next part. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm actually curious about uh, 16, 17, 18 year old Daniel before yeah. going to college. Because, and I'll tell you why, because my thought when I look at the um, corporate structure, and see how hierarchical it is, you know, just like the church or other organizations like that. The thing you need to, to really get up the, the ranks is ambition, I, I think. Um, feel free to correct me. And I'm just wondering if these things were competing, like as a, as a young person, did you have um, an ambition to first get to some sort of peak? And it was that getting to that peak the point of, of disillusionment or did you just kind of stumble upon 
this uh, type of corporate job and you were just doing well enough in your work that you were promoted? Like, what was the initial motivation to, to get into tech and then to go up levels? Um, you know, probably it wasn't the kind of ambition that we tend to associate ambition with. You know, I grew up, uh, my family were small business owners. I wasn't really exposed to the corporate life growing up myself as a young kid um, and the structured way of working that it's sort of, um, I experienced it myself firsthand. So I wasn't really ambitious from a position of thinking I want to become higher levels, better job titles and things like that. They were quite alien concepts to me, actually. I think more than that, it was more, I had been fascinated by computers and programming for since I was like five years old. Like, so, uh, you know, did, did, I always had the dream of getting paid and finding a profession as, as a software engineer. And I would say probably uh, you know, my, my ambition was more about trying to maximize that. So I tried to get more of it, better at it. And sort of, I think the main motivation for getting, first of all, my first job as a programmer, it was highly satisfying because that's what I really wanted to do. It was this in my dream job, then get into, into big tech into big companies was because again, from a curiosity point of view, more or less, I was feeling I'm missing out essentially, that I knew how to do certain things. I was mostly self-taught. Sure, I went to college, but like many programmers, mostly figure things out on myself. And I figured there are these things that some big companies are doing that I had absolutely no clue how they're done. And I thought the only way for me to do it was to sort of to, to get a peek from the inside. So initially it was purely almost for, for its own curiosity learning kind of thing um, rather than again like maximizing status job title or financial values it's more that it's more that uh, when i went in that things started to change because the environment pushes you right i mean the highly structured corporate environment again like keeps dangling bonuses and promotions and job titles it becomes like a video game right if you do these things you level up right so it's some almost be, you, you become <laughs> it becomes automatic that you, you need to be very disciplined to break out of it right sort of it's very very hard <laughs> yeah is it like how common is it would you say that somebody keeps their crosshairs on something like well-being or lifestyle rather than being gobbled up by this system, not just in terms of the hours of work, but also in terms of the ideas where you have, you work such long hours and you work so hard. And um, I'm assuming I don't come from the corporate world myself, but there must be a feeling that, uh, you know, you are needed. So there's also almost like social pressure from the company to, to identify with the company and, would I be, would it be fair on my part to assume that many people actually um, get lost in that and just at some point identify with their job title and with the mission within the company and so on? So in other words, are you unusual? I think uh, in, in, in the current environment that I was, yes. And I think the problem is that uh that you know there are certain people i think that this type of work environment is perfect for them like i i, I probably you could recognize them like right? they 
flourish in the highly structured way. We're all different, right? Again, like there's not a judgment on anything. It's just personalities and preferences. Right? So I think there's some people who this really works. They wouldn't, they would struggle and suffer if it was less structured type of work, right? Then I think, um, you know, there are people who work in work arrangements where they absolutely hate, right? It's like hell for them. And for them, it's probably easier for, for them to notice that this is making their life completely miserable and they need to change, right? So it's sort of when something is really bad, it prompts action. I think what's really difficult is this, the thing in between, which is what I was, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't hell, right? I wasn't for me, it wasn't like I was uh, suffering and neither my, were my colleagues. It was just this basin of sort of demotivation, right? And un moderate unhappiness that it was hard to get out of because it was hard to imagine something better concretely. That's right? okay, I leave, but what do I do? And um, sort of, and th there was also the effect that, you know, things are so good by many other measures and I worked so hard to get there and I was so lucky to get there. Right? Sometimes you recognize the good timing and chance that got you in that place. That it feels like, you know, you've won the lottery ticket and then you're not cash cashing it out completely. Right? So it really messes up with your wiring, right? So it's really problematic. And this is super common. Right? This is, I talk with my ex-colleagues, I'm still friends with many of them. It's a super common sentiment. You know, I'm unhappy um, relatively, right? I mean, I could be, it could, things could be better. Um, I dislike all the purposeless work that I do and all these kinds of things, you know, my life is, I barely have time for anything, but then what, right? I mean, what can I do? Can I really leave after working 20 years to get to where I am? And if I leave, why are things going to get better? Right? So that's, that's the problem. So you have these extremes, like if things are hell, you, it prompts action and you do, tend to do something. If, if you're the kind of person who this is perfect for you, obviously, you know, you stay. And I think I was someone in, in the, in between. It's like this basin where you can't get outside sort of. <laughs> yeah. It, um, it, it really is resonating with things I'm undergoing in with my life because my wife and I are living in this place in Israel. That's, um, in the countryside, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's almost like Sim City, beautiful. <laughs> and um, like you say, like a lot of people are dying to, to be living here. You know, they have this dream of like, oh, I marry someone from the, from the kibbutz or from, mm -hmm. from this type of place. Um, and for us, it's, it's just as you say, it's like nothing is terrible. We can do whatever we want. Everything here is super comfortable because um, the history is such that these type of places where we live in, these type of villages are actually cheaper than the rest of the country, which is pretty um, expensive otherwise. And yet we won't we might want something different. And mm -hmm. I totally uh, sympathize with you there where it's not the type of situation where it was like everything is horrible and it's so easy to leave. And it's also you aspire for, for more. Um, I also think that some of the people, like you say, are even, even the very miserable ones, uh, could even, you know, just look at themselves from the lens of society and not have the ability to introspect or to really be connected with their feelings to the point where they, actually um, don't have any feelings 
arise in them when they think of a better future, which I think is a problem. So um, it takes some degree of functioning imagination and ability yeah. to know yourself emotionally to even uh, think of this vision for a better future for yourself. And that's something I, I really uh, sympathize with you on this point. Yeah, in terms of what to do, if not the the known thing, did you manage to get at any point uh, to a stage where you have this plan laid out or does it have to be a plunge into the the unknown? Oh, good question. You know, I don't know, uh, you know, how generalizable what I did was. I mean, that's what I did. That I'm basically... I was lucky. I had some savings. I could you, take some time to try to figure things out. And I think what ended up happening was um, I tried many different things and many different work arrangements and I stumbled on things. Right? I, I started discovering my preferences. I mean, I, probably something I had already known about myself was that in general, I, I dislike highly structured arrangements of any sort. That's so sort of the the element of randomness and uncertainty that I was facing when I jumped into self-employment, I, I sort of knew that 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 would likely help me. Right? Nevertheless, th then still, I, I wasn't sure whether I was going to be starting, you know, a, a business that, you know, I needed to end up building a, a team or hiring employees or something that was much simpler or do, continue to do things on myself like what type of work was i going to be doing was i going to be doing freelancing building a product service product business and so on and so forth there was still lots of uncertainty I, and I, I started just thinking and experimenting with all these things and sort of uh, try, trying to understand what I'm doing right now, always reflecting, like, is this compatible with me? Am I, am I enjoying it? Do I see a potential for this? You know, and I, I keep kept tweaking and arranging. And I think, again, like the fact that I didn't have a structure has allowed me to do this. You know, this is one of the problems, I think, with highly structured work arrangements, like the 40-hour work week, is that if you realize that, you know, you're better arrangement is you work 30 hours or you work 40 hours one week and 20 hours the next week or you know or, or whatever or or you work in a particular different um, time arrangements that you work a little bit in the morning and a little bit late at night if, if you discover these things about yourself usually for most jobs you can't really adjust right so sort of then we start feeling you know burnt out you know unhappy uh and you know wondering what we can you know what's wrong and, and so on and so forth whereas with less structure uh, almost subconsciously you start experimenting that right? you start sometimes overdoing sometimes underdoing sometimes having the wrong combination of things and then you start discovering what's the right arrangement essentially you know, I know this may be a bit abstract, but that's sort of what happened to me. Right? Just tried many different things. Uh, I saw what worked, what was giving me energy, what was working from a financial point of view, because that was an important part of the Venn diagram as well. It wasn't just things that were fun, but things that needed to sort of allow me to live off them. Right. So, uh, and I just keep improving. I still, I'm still sort of in this mode where, uh, you know, right now sort of my test has become, uh, very much, you know, what's the point of me doing this? 
And if it's not really something that is going to help me sustain my current lifestyle or improve it, then I wonder, is, is it worth doing? Should I be doing it differently? And um, it's been sort of useful to think about it uh, that way. Because many times, just that reflection uh, helps us realize that, you know, the path that we're going on, right, even though it might seem at face value, uh, you know, uh, something that is worth doing, right? Because again, sort of there's these incentives, even if they're not being dangled now against by employers, right? So there's just these incentives of making more money or growing your business more and so on and so forth. You know, but if your business is not improving your life, <laughs> again, like what's the point? <laughs> yeah. And so just a quick question. How how long have you been on this um on this journey of self-employment so at this point? Almost almost three years. Like so I, I left my job in February of 2019. So three years minus a couple of months at this point. Yeah. And I'm really interested in hearing about the, the first experiments. Were they in the domain you already knew well of programming or at that point probably managing so on or did you experiment with things that are completely different as well so in the beginning it was purely in the domain and that was probably a mistake that i did not necessarily the fact what of what i chose but sort of my thinking was that okay i have like 16 years of professional software development experience i sort of had worked in the last 10 years in a particular domain and in, in, in databases right in, in tech i specialized in a particular domain so i thought surely the best way to increase my odds of success are going to be you know leveraging all my skills all my experience all my domain knowledge and just focus and concentrate on that side. I mean, because what else? Like, I mean, if this doesn't work, the thing that I sort of dedicated my a decade or more on, nothing else is going to come close. And I think the mistake that I did there is that I underestimated the role of chance and randomness in business success. Mm -hmm. Right? It's sort of incredibly, uh, this is an incredibly common problem, I believe, right? Is that we tend to treat self-employment and exploring and trying to discover what works and what doesn't, similarly to things that we did in the very predictable world of full-time employment. You know, when I was an employee, you set a goal, you try to break it down into small pieces and every day you work towards it and eventually you reach that goal, maybe a month late, maybe a month early, but you get there. And you get your goal and, you know, you, you reap the reward, whatever it is. In self-employment, especially when you go in product businesses, like you create a new product and you try to sell it, whether it works or not, is there's a huge role of things outside of your control. Right? I mean, you might be doing everything right. You might have the best product, the best service, the best pricing, the best marketing, great reputation. You have all the right ingredients. But, you know, for a product business to succeed, it relies on human behavior. Human behavior is highly complex, highly unpredictable things. And whatever it is, it might still not work. And you might not even know why it didn't work, right? It's just something that says on it. We tend to say the timing wasn't right, right? Or sort of things didn't, the, the stars didn't really align. And you might even not even know which star was out of place, right? And um, sort of this uh, was a problem. Again, this sort of after a few months in, 
again, I think I, my, like about four or five months in, my subconscious started to nag me again. So if I started to realize that I was putting all the eggs in one basket, and this was a highly unpredictable, highly uncertain basket, right? And sort of the uh, sort of the prudent part of my brain was sort of telling me, are you sure this is the right strategy? Um, uh, what if it doesn't work out? When will you know if, if it doesn't work out? How long are you going to, to, to keep waiting for results to materialize? That's when will you choose to change and pivot? Right? And I was starting to worry that, now, now basically the problem became that I was really enjoying my new lifestyle, right? the flexibility that I had, the fact that I was working on my own terms. I didn't need to ask anyone permission to do anything. I had more time with my family. Everything was great. I didn't want that to be taken away from me. So it was a bit of a crisis of anxiety. Like I really want to maximize the odds, not of maximizing profits, but of not having this lifestyle taken away from me. Right. <laughs> That's a very different business plan. <laughs> right. My business plan was like to not go back to full-time employment, essentially, like my new one. So this made me reconsider. Right? I mean, it was again like an eye-opening um, reflection. And what I chose to do then, rather than keep focusing on one thing, my specialty, um, I just started saying lots of different things, right? I mean, things that in the back of my head were like plan B, plan C, plan D. Like if the first thing doesn't work out, maybe I'll try the second, maybe I'll try the third. And then at that point I said, why wait until something fails? Why don't I try everything at the same time? Like plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D, all pretty much in parallel. And this was hugely important for me. Like, I mean, when I did this, first of all, I discovered a lot of things about myself, like things that I never knew I was going to enjoy or things that I thought were unlikely to work ended up being the ones that worked best and I enjoyed doing most, <laughs> right? And again, like I discovered the opposite, of course, like things that I thought uh, they were going to be great for me were maybe less optimal. And sort of this arrangement of, you know, having a portfolio of things and then focusing on one thing has also helped me a lot uh, from a motivational perspective. Like, you know, no matter how much you like something at some point, you start running out of energy, right? Or you sort of want to take a break and having multiple things going on has allowed me to sort of alternate my attention to, you know, this week I focus on that, the week after I can change and focus on something else. And it's been sort of very, very helpful. And again, like just psychologically, the fact that I'm diversifying just added a lot of more peace of mind. Like that, that was very immediate. The effect was incredible. How, you know, that anxiety went away. Right? Once I had a few things and there were like a couple of things starting to show some signs of success, uh, how different it makes it. Nowadays, for example, even if I'm trying something new, right, um, I don't feel that again, like that sense of anxiety that I really need this to work just because I have other things going on, right? It's just, you try things, you experiment, you know, there's an element of uncertainty and you just go in with much more peace of mind, just knowing that, you know, if it doesn't work out, slight disappointment, but no big deal. There's other four things, five things going on that I can uh, continue to live on, right? So this has been sort of my new arrangement, right? Sort of, I'm calling it like creating a portfolio of small bets, right? Just doing a few things at the same time, small things that I can do by myself as much as possible. Um, and um, 
has allowed me both to diversify, both to find success in places where I didn't know there was that much success to be had and to discover again, to continue to discover my own preferences, right? Something that I think it's a, it's a never, uh, you know, something that goes on probably for all our lives. Uh, and uh, and it changes again, like I think as the li our lives changes, maybe what I'm liking now with two young kids will be different from when I'm, you know, um, you know, from when my kids yeah. grow up, right? Or from before when I was single, probably I would have liked different arrangements. So it's right. good to also be adaptable. It's again, another problem that sort of the 40 hour traditional work week of full-time employment doesn't really allow much, much adaptation. Right, it's, it's sort of your life has to adapt to your work rather than absolutely, absolutely you know, the other way around. This is all trade-offs, right? I mean, this, this most of the times is you know you choose to make less money or to be less ambitious or to avoid pursuing something because you think that your lifestyle is going to suffer. Right? So sometimes it's hard. Right? I mean, these things are not easy. There's always trade-offs. It's not like you have everything <laughs> right no it, it definitely on. takes courage and again i find so many of your things to resonate with with my thoughts also about um so i have this maxim by now that they kind of tell people which is um security kills serendipity you know if you go yeah. for that security of really mm -hmm. going for that job and just having this peace of mind that comes from I won't be uh, looking for food on the street. Well, that's a kind of peace of mind, but actually it leaves room only for really bad surprises to come yes, into yes. your life mm -hmm. because you haven't left any room, for example, and I want to, to hear from you about this. So I'll ask you in a minute, for example, about having new ideas of, of actually monitoring your preferences and seeing what you actually enjoy doing and what you don't now you're mentioning like it's it's a normal trivial thing to be able to tap into your own preferences and see what what you like doing and experiment with new things i think it's it's not trivial at all and i want to hear from you mm -hmm. what what is the process is it just that more free time allows you to not be focused laser focused on something and therefore your mind can wander and all of a sudden from the subconscious something bubbles up that's a new idea of something maybe you, you've never done before and you go out and try it and you find you like it is that uh, a normal way for the process to happen or are you more consciously um i don't know signing up for classes that uh, for new things yeah. that you might like uh, yeah, so interesting uh, sort of question. I, sort of, I think it's two two things. You know, you know, there's this Seneca quote, which I think is attributed to him, I believe, where luck is preparation meets opportunity. Have you ever heard about that? Sort of, it's yeah. an interesting because I think it's similar to your your statement about serendipity, right? I mean, calling luck good serendipity is, I think the preparation and opportunity parts are relevant. And I think from the preparation part, what's important is that some of the things you hinted at, having abundance per time, right? Sort of having slack in the system, because as, as you noted, if you're busy, you basically shut off all good opportunity because you start not even seeing them, right? I think there's something subconscious that if we're focused on one goal, super busy, we just want to get that thing done, 
we tend to put on like the blinders on so that we don't get distracted. So yeah. no matter how good serendipitous op- things happen, we might not even recognize them, let alone take advantage of them. So there's some amount of preparation, which probably also involves being prepared sort of from a, from a capabilities and skills perspective, right? I mean, obviously, um, uh, you know, to benefit from good opportunities, you need to be able to pounce on things when opportunities come and you need to sort of be prepared. You need to have some skills of some sort to be able to take advantage of things, right? So um, that's something that, again, like you continuously improve and um, and you might already have just from your education, background, work experience, and so on and so forth. But probably the thing that most people lack that sort of I managed to, again, like just stumble on is what I call like, an, you need an inspiration generator, that you need something happening to you almost every day, like that, uh, sort of allows you to bump into random things. Consider that, um, I think a good analogy is, for example, consider how a book publisher works, right? uh, uh, you know, a, a type of business that works in a very unpredictable world. Right? A book publisher never knows which books are going to be bestsellers and you know, what, which books are going to be more profitable than others and so on and so forth. So the, the, and the, the way a book publisher gets ideas is basically there's probably aspiring book authors right, or aspiring authors who are just pitching their book ideas to the publisher on a daily basis. Uh, they're saying, you know, I'm writing a novel about this, or I'm writing a nonfiction book about that. And like the um- inbox of the book publisher is always getting the stream of ideas. Would you publish this? Would you publish that? Would you do that? And, you know, the, bu- the book publisher then gets the opportunity to go to this list of, you know, opportunities on a daily basis and choose which one to invest in and, or, 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 or sort of avoid, right? And I think at an individual level, we need to do something similar. And for me, this is going to be different for everyone, right? For me, what the system that I really like to work has been social media, Twitter in particular. I mean, Twitter has been my inspiration generator, like consuming, not writing on Twitter. I mean, that that helped me on other things, but just organically, I started following a few interesting people who are doing unconventional things. And almost on a daily basis, as part of my routine, I spend hours every day, three, four hours easily, just scrolling over Twitter, see what other people are doing. And just this exposure, it's like being at a cocktail party with random strangers, right? And you bump into casual chance encounters, casual conversations about what, what are you doing, so and so forth. And just Twitter allows me to do that without the sort of uh, other <laughs> things that I dislike about parties. <laughs> like to do it from the comfort of my home, scrolling around, the opportunity to jump into conversations. And fundamentally, what this leads to is that I see people doing unconventional things mostly. And occasionally I ask myself, is this interesting for me? Is this something I can do? Could I do something like this? but with a slight different twist or in, in a slightly different domain. And, you know, for 360 days out of 365 of the year, probably nothing comes out, out of this, right? Again, like this is just like going out to a party every day and nothing life-changing happens for most of them. But then there's like those few five times out of 365 in the year where 
you know, something really, the inspiration, uh, uh, preparation and opportunity end up meeting, right? And that's right. where you notice luck, you recognize it, and then you sort of have the opportunity to pounce. Pretty much, I would go for, as far as saying, pretty much everything that I'm doing right now uh, has, I can probably attribute it to an event that I stumbled on something on Twitter, I reflected, um, I tried it out sort of with my own take, and then sort of it worked out. Everything that's worked out or didn't work out, pretty much everything that I've done, nice. I can sort of pinpoint it to <laughs> some chance encounter on Twitter that I stumbled on that made me reflect. Right. So it's this inspiration generator. Like this is something again, like that in the traditional parts, traditional work arrangements, we not only we tend to not have, but we tend to avoid. We tend to we tend to look at social media, for example, as a distraction. Right, You're right. Just wasting time. Yeah, right, I, I was gonna say this is the best uh, pitch for Twitter I've ever <laughs> <Yes>. heard. It's <laughs> like suddenly it feels completely uh, perfect to to spend four hours on Twitter. Days. Yes, and so but the problem is that you need to have the capability because of course it is a distraction if you're a full time employee in the typical forty hour work arrangement because. Okay, you might be getting these inspirations, but you can't do anything about them. Right? You can't pounce on these things immediately because you're stuck into this highly structured work environment that doesn't allow you to do other things or you don't have the energy or the time and so on and so forth. So it's sort of this, this arrangement, again, like preparation and opportunity, right? Sort of the inspiration, the opportunity comes from this inspiration generator, but the preparation is to have this slack in the system, this free time, this sort of unstructured way, the ability to, as soon as inspiration strikes, to pounce on something. Because again, like I used to keep like an ideas list. That's something that many people do. Like you bump into an idea and you put it on your on your notes app and you say, someday I'll come to it. I don't do that anymore. Right? I mean, I don't think it works. So I used to have like this list of hundreds of things First of all, I could barely remember what some of the things that I listed were like, yeah. and the the energy that came when I had that idea, when inspiration stuck, just disappears a month later, a year later, whatever. Like all the right, in, you know, new ones that were firing, I didn't manage to capture them in my notes app. Mm. So nowadays, right, I try to just pounce on things immediately, right, and you need to be prepared for that, and you need to have a type of structure or, or lack of structure <laughs> that will allow you to say, okay, this, this is interesting. What if I try this like this month right now, right? And, and I think that's, that's sort of what, what allows us to discover that this discovery phase of self-employment where you're discovering what works, what you like, what you want to keep doing and so on and so forth, really the benefits from randomness essentially. Right? And another concept that's very alien to many people like embracing <laughs> randomization rather than right, self like than a directed part, right? Yeah, uh, this is really something that I wish um, personally, you know, if I can make any sort of change or, or have a ripple effect is, is really praise uncertainty as much as possible because it turns out, for those who were listening, they might know this, but you don't. I basically was a tour guide in Israel until COVID hit. And then I had a really good job until then with English speakers. It's a, it's a pretty well-paying job in Israel to be a tour guide. And then all of a sudden it, it just went, you know? So I didn't, yeah. I, in that sense, I didn't have to suffer what you suffered of being in this basin. <laughs> it's just the mountain just in happened. front of me just was kind of chopped yeah. off. <laughs> um, but I did tell myself, I'm not going to get 
any job that comes my way to pay the bills. I'm going to capitulate on the fact that I have some savings and I'm going to do something that is creative. So I've been dealing with that and doing that and also very much like you in a totally different domain, of course, but uh, first writing a book, then trying to go ahead with this podcast on the way, uh, writing this, writing that, messing with this, having ideas, uh, experiencing different media. And what I learned is that through that period, which is still going on, like I wish I could say I found things that really work in terms of how much I love doing this podcast. It's, it's off, you know, it's off the charts. Like I love doing it. Um, in financial terms, well, I already recognize this is going to be quite a hard climb to, to make a living out of that, but I'm, I'm still very hopeful. Um, but the point is what I learned during those times of uncertainty and just playing around and, and not having a clue really where I'm going is that I have time just like you to meet people on Twitter and just, just the, even just the human connection, even though I haven't made another, a, a dollar yet for my podcast or whatever, um, even just is so inspiring, is so energizing. And it turns out that if you have this free time, surprises, good surprises are even more abundant than bad surprises. So it really pulls under the, uh, pulls the rug under this idea of, oh, I need this security. I need to, if, if I work 40 hours a week or more, really, for a lot of people, it's, it's many more. Um, then I get some peace of mind and I just think that it's not real peace of mind. Um, in terms of a technical question on Twitter, like how do you use it? Do you follow certain people, um, and guy and maybe highlight your focus on them through notifications or do you actually use the explore tab and go look around searching for topics? Um, no, it's mostly from following people and I sort of, I, I enjoy growing my, the list of people I follow organically, right? So, so I'm not a fan of just following people who other people recommend or whatever. It's just, I, I, I like to feel like uh, I got to know someone sort of, so it takes time, right? Again, like it's a very party approach, like it's sort of bumping into people. And then after a while things click and you realize you're, more than just strangers, you're something else, like your acquaintances or friends or whatever. Sort of, sort of, I let that happen. But then there's also there's also an algorithmic um, effect as well that sort of adds some randomness, right? Sort of some you, you you discover new people and sometimes new 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 thoughts and ideas from what my the people I follow, for example, from what they retweet or what they comment on, like the fact that the Twitter surfaces some of the things that I'm not explicitly following but it's still sort of relevant to, to the people I follow sort of has, uh, helped as well, right. And sort of, again, like discovering people, um, nowadays, you know, now that I, my audience has grown and sort of a little bit of a community has sort of almost developed on, under me, right? sort of when I tweet something, uh, there's always this sort of same set of people who comment under my tweets, right. Ask questions and sort of start a conversation. And I discover people there as well now. Sort of this wasn't possible in the beginning. That's sort of something that is happening more now. Um, but I'm realizing that I get to know people just because they they jump into my own, the conversations that I start nowadays. Uh, 
But when I started, no, it was more organic. I saw again, like it's one of those things that is very hard to accelerate and to make faster. Um, you know, just like, you know, like cooking, you can't just turn on the heat and make it happen in, in a minute. You just have to let it take its time. And I think something something similar this way, right? Sort of, you can't just bootstrap this thing by saying, you know, follow the same people I follow and just copy my own list because there are going to be a bunch of people you have no idea about them. Right? And so all the context about them just matters. It's not just the tweet that they posted today, but all the story about what's happened in the past. So um, uh, it's uh, it's something that just develops slowly over time, right? And nowadays, uh, my, yeah, my usage is just plain. I just use the regular app and just just scroll, nothing simple. I, I'm not obsessed about not what, wanting to miss anything or whatever. Again, it's just the randomness of it, right? I just, I just check what's new and I see people. The most people that I follow, obviously, are people who document parts of their lives or their, their work, right? They have this sort of tendency to talk about what they're doing and I just watch what they're doing. Again, like many, many times, just nothing, right? You just scroll through, you, you take a note of it mentally and just just scrolling and sometimes just something strikes like again this is just regular conversation in person that you're talking to people you're saying oh what have you been up to somebody tells you something many times it's just just interesting just but it goes nowhere and occasionally it might lead to a partnership or collaboration or a new idea for yourself that's sort of these chance encounters that end up changing your life sometimes right so which is which is really one example of this is this podcast because it's materialized yeah. because of a <laughs> because random of that, comment. Yeah. yeah, it's and... that like everything. It literally, almost everything is like that. It's it's you know it's fascinating. It's a bit worrying to be honest, right? because again, like there's some centralization into Twitter, a platform with you know the algorithm and whether I get kicked out someday or whatever because it's it's interesting and you know at some point I I'm starting to try to diversify a little bit. Although I would be extremely disappointed if Twitter were to go away or were to something were to happen to my account or whatever. But again, like you start to wonder, you start to notice how important it has become, right? And sort of it's, it helps to have backup plans of what happens if Twitter were to change its algorithm or ban me or go away or change into a way that makes it very different. Um, it's, 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 yeah, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I, again, like I wouldn't worry about this until you have something to worry about. You know, some people tell me I don't want to invest too much in Twitter because it's a platform that I don't own. I think it's sort of a bit of premature optimization. I'd rather worry about when you do have something to worry about, right? And then you can sort of have more options to diversify uh, uh, those kinds of things. Yeah, absolutely. How about in terms of personal life is there an amount of time like a figure in your head or is it more you just play it by ear how much time do you actually reserve for just being there outside of this uh you know hours where where the dollar figure is is not part of the event diagram do you find now that it's easier for you to spend time in that uh state of mind where you are really there um, with family and so on? I think what, what I found to be most important for me is just to uh, leave pretty much as much uncommitted time as possible, right? And then play it by ear. Sort of I'm finding the, 
um, again, like I'm finding the un uh, sort of, uh, you know, the, the, the fact that things are not structured again, like to keep using the same word, like I'm not necessarily trying to say, you know, from nine AM to 10 AM is family time from 11 it's work time and so on and so forth. I like the fact that depending on the circumstances, depending on what needs to be done, depending on, you know, everything else, the weather sometimes and things like that, you just go with it. So it's, it's all, it's all depends on uh, how much committed time you have to other things. Right? Because if you have a commitment, then pretty much all options go away. Right? You have to stick with that commitment essentially. Uh, you know, it's the, the and another aspect as well that as well sort of I discovered is is this that right? sort of the 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 frequency of how I like to do things. Um, I, I'm enjoying the unpredictability of that as well. Right? Sort of I enjoy the fact that I don't know what I'm going to be doing next week. Right? I don't know if I'm going to be, you know, working more or working less or taking it easy. It really depends on the energy, the inspiration when I wake up. I look around what I what are the options, what I'm sort of finding motivation to do, and I tend to follow that part right? so rather than say there's this time and so on and so forth. And I think I weave the same idea to family time. You know, it depends our kids. You know, they were they were off last week, right? Because Thanksgiving time here in the US, so I spent more time with them. You know, now this week they're back to school depends on when, when they come back and what, you know, what there needs to be done. It's literally mostly played by ear. And again, like just playing by ear just requires that it's just a luxury that you have when you sort of don't have uncommitted time. It's very hard to play it by ear if your calendar looks like, you know, it's like Tetris full of, uh, you know, time slots. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah, that's another thing that, that I found for myself in my journey is that even though you might, you might leave that full-time job, um, you know, for me, my time as a tour guide was always irregular, but I would be away for 10 days all of a sudden, you know, and not see my daughter and wife for 10 days, which is horrible for me. Um, but even when that was not there anymore and I had uncommitted time, it takes a while to still break the habit of wanting to push, right? Mm -hmm. Wanting to push to do something. Uh, and it took me a while to realize that I might wake up someday and I would be out of energy. I would just yeah. want to do something that's fun and chill and not worry about anything. And at the beginning, I would still be very hard on myself with it, right? Because I'm not being productive. So productivity, of course, is this big buzzword. Um, and you know how many tools are created today, tools for thought that are supposed to boost your productivity. Uh, but productivity simply does not sit with the type of lifestyle that allows you to get yourself a, a day off, if you like, and enjoy Enjoy doing nothing because that's all you need sometimes to recharge a day of, of recharging. And I'm wondering if, is this still an impetus that you feel all the time that you need to be uh, productive or is that also something that's fallen by the wayside with this change over time? Yeah, I think sort of in terms of productivity, something that I've, uh, I, I can't even remember how I 
stumbled into this line of thinking, but it's sort of, I'm trying to see productivity as trying to, the way I describe it is trying to live in harmony with my nature, right? And this is why I have this mental model that uh, I talk about this on Twitter occasionally and sort of not everyone agrees, but I have this mental model that, you know, we as humans, right? Uh, the modern world is an alien environment for us right, that we've constructed we've sort of we've been wired to be hunter gatherers for most of our existence right which was a lifestyle that was extremely different from the life that we live in nowadays consider that the modern homo sapiens has been around for 200,000 years roughly and for like 97 percent of the time we were just living a hunter gatherer lifestyle that right, where we you know woke up went to hunt or gather food came back lift off that tomorrow we do the same thing and it was very different from many different aspects um, first of all there wasn't this idea of wealth and accumulation of resources right if you worked a lot uh, and you hunted a lot of food or whatever it would just rot right if you if you got more than necessary there wasn't the, the, the refrigerator or the chest freezer or the ability to accumulate resources so it was useless to overwork right there wasn't that concept there wasn't the concept of wealth basically the ability to create reserves and continue to accumulate and there was also again like this unpredictability of what your day exactly oh sure you go into the forest looking for food you don't know exactly what you're going to find when you're going to find it how you're going to find it and so on and so forth which is also very different from the modern predictable slog of you go to work and you do the usual things and you move things you know very predictably forward so sort of what why this matters to productivity is that i think our subconscious in particular is uh sort of it's like a computer that's just guiding us to that kind of lifestyle right and sort of most productivity advice that we hear about nowadays it's sort of advice to try to fight these instincts to try to find procrastination anxiety uh sort of demotivation right to just try to trick your mind into ignoring those things and just force yourself into squeezing more out of your day and you know to be fair sometimes you need those tricks right? because the modern world you know if you need to do something unpleasant it's tax preparation day and you need to file your taxes sure it's unpleasant i need those tricks to do them right but i think for the mo mo most majority of my days i would like to live in harmony with those things where i'm not fighting those things that i'm embracing them like take procrastination pretty much all productivity advice that i've ever seen almost advices against fighting it so tricks about how to do deal with procrastination creating disciplines system structures to do lists and so on and so forth my default is to use procrastination as a signal as a piece of information that this is likely something that either i'm doing prematurely or i'm doing too much of it or it's something that maybe it's not conducive to what i really want like something that my subconscious is recognizing that maybe my conscious part hasn't seen yet and i think seeing it from the hunter-gatherer perspective you know procrastination might have been like imagine you're sharpening your tools and you need to decide when it's enough to sharpen your tools like you can continue to sharpen your tools forever <laughs> right but sometimes you say oh this is probably good enough right and you say uh you know you you feel procrastinated to keep sharpening them right and you know all these things about dealing with uncertainty in the hunter-gatherer world like imagine you're a hunter-gatherer and you're 
you you've been walking up you know 10 miles in a particular direction and you're finding no no positive feedback that you're finding any sources of food you know in the in the modern world we tend to want to persevere no matter how hard it is keep going right ignore the signals like believe in yourself just consistency but you know for the hunter gatherer this would have been a very foolish you know <laughs> attitude to have to yeah. just keep persevering no matter the feedback that's so the hunter gather would have likely said okay maybe it's time to abandon this part and go back right sort of these signals of anxiety feeling demotivated to keep going that part like i think they all stand back from a general again like understand general sort of approach of dealing with uncertainty and unpredictability that especially in this type of arrangement that i'm working right now that i don't know how tomorrow is going to look like or next month is going to look like i feel that either super important and so sort of my productivity approach has literally been like trying to reflect on what my subconscious is telling me not necessarily obeying it all the time because again sometimes the modern world gets into the way sometimes our instincts and subconscious do get confused again just by the modern world and maybe by some things that we've seen so but at least by default give it the benefit of the doubt recognizing it what is this thing why i'm feeling anxious why am i feeling demotivated why i'm feeling low energy right and i think many times these reveal that maybe what i'm doing again like what's the point of what this thing that i'm doing maybe i can instead of keep polishing i can wrap this thing up right and just close it and that's good enough maybe that's why i'm feeling i'm procrastinating again like the, the hunter gatherer endlessly polishing or sharpening the tool so that, and this has helped me a lot like recently i joke tweeted almost that but i i believe there's some definitely some something good about it i i said my best productivity hack is realizing something is not worth doing anymore and i think this comes again like from these subconscious signals something telling me i'm not motivated to keep doing this thing or to do it and i realize oh maybe this is not necessary right and that's it it's gone like i mean great productivity <laughs> right just yeah. keep getting yeah. rid of something i i love the perspective of going back and looking at procrastination productivity from um, from an evolutionary uh standpoint i i haven't heard this connection before and i love it uh it makes me think and it may it connects it for me with a sort of slogan that i use for myself and for others which says there is more to life than living. So I think that in a lot of in a lot of uh, senses, we have not really realized the kind of changes that have happened from an evolutionary perspective. And the most important one is that we still live a life uh, where the mentality is one of scarcity, right, and not of abundance. Um, so for hunter gatherers they needed to um all all the time worry about the next day and that's not something that is very that we would want for ourselves like really be worried about what you're going yeah. to eat uh, but so we developed all these amazing technologies of of farming and you know and going as as recent mm -hmm. as as the internet and so on uh, but we it seems that most of society has not yet realized that for a lot of us, it's it's up to us to really live the utopian dream that, you know, there's these people wondering 
Well, they told us around the industrial revolution that uh, machines are going to do the work and we're going to have um, all those hours off. But uh, look, we're still being employed. And I think the part of the onus is on us to actually tell society or, or carve it out for ourselves this time and know that we do live in a society of abundance and try to see what we can do with this understanding. Because if we stay in the mindset of just surviving, then we get to a point where our survival is very easily achieved today, right? You and I are all but guaranteed yeah. to, to see a month from now to be healthy and, and well-fed, right? Accepting some horrible yeah. accident or mm -hmm. something. Um, so if we were still in survival mode, it almost by definition would start to bug us that the part of our soul or personality that aims for something to be uh, harmonized. You use the word uh, harmony, which is, which is great uh, because it is now not, it isn't simply is not fitting for us to chase the things that simply are for survival. And so people, I think a lot of the time would chase pleasures because that's what kind of feels good immediately and and naturally but pleasure is actually that teacher which nature uses to teach you how to survive so it and people don't really get to a point where they conceptualize things differently for life in an age of abundance and realizing there is more to life than living in the sense that there is living well now. This is what we should aspire to rather than uh, simply living, which people seem to be very unhappy with. So life in itself is, is not this uh, good thing. Some people are surviving and are physically healthy, but they're having terrible suffering going on um, within themselves. And it makes me wonder if you could share some of the some of the maybe philosophies you mentioned Seneca and other uh, thought let's say philosophers or thinkers uh, what are yeah. some of the works and and books that you've that you've read that helped shape this uh, notion of yeah. yours that well-being or lifestyle is is what you should start with the foundation rather than the uh, happy byproduct. Yeah, uh, so, yeah. Sort of uh, the ancient Stoics. Definitely, there's lots of to learn from them. I think not necessarily to take their teaching teachings religiously, but sort of this approach to sort of uh, reconsider, worry about the downside, right, and sort of um, ways how to deal with uncertainty. It's sort of how I how, how would, I would generalize. Uh, some of the works of Seneca and other people. That it's like the world is highly unpredictable out there. You don't know what's going to happen to you. There's fate. And how do you deal with fate? Uh, and sort of what's interesting again, like this very, it's a very downside first perspective, right? Where you Im imagine all the bad things that could happen for you, try to figure out ways you could recover or at best, you know, get back to where you were. And then sort of fate can only bring good luck to you, right? If you, if you cover all your negative uh, sides. Um, 
The works of Nassim Taleb super, have been super influential to me, the Incerto series, Food by Randomness, The Black Swan, and The Fragile, and Skin in the Game. Like Again, like he's just dedicated his life to dealing with uncertainty. All, some, many of these ideas that I mentioned about, he sort of talks about them in his book, like the, the um, embracing randomness and... Uh, um, a sort of this sort of uh, approach of finding serendipity and benefiting from uncertainty and things like that. Uh, just super inspiring ideas, uh, not just related to business, but to life and many other things and politics and, uh, and pretty much everything. Uh, you know, uh, it's probably, I know it's very, very, cheesy nowadays to mention it but like Tim Ferriss the four hour work week probably has been one of the first books I read that sort of made me think about different work arrangements it's probably where the first time I heard about the term lifestyle design right where he mentions it like again like taking this lifestyle approach because similar story right he has his own successful business but he was overworked and at some point he realized what's the point and then he decides to almost kill his business but instead of killing it he sort of downscaled it to a to a, to an arrangement that was much more compatible with his preferences that he managed to eliminate the things that he disliked kept the things that he liked was he was making less money but now he had just a better arrangement which was an interesting way of again like just 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 reflecting let me see. Many others. Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, super inspiring book about, uh, probably I think about that book almost every day. Again, me like, too. Because, uh, yeah, it's just, just, I, I don't know why. Like, it's just this, you know, there's this concept of, um, you know, you get meaning from suffering, right, or from, from, from the challenges that we encounter. Like, this basically, I think it's like, what, what, what's a good life, right? And sort of, so that book helped me boil it down to like a good life is like a life that I, I'm proud of, essentially. That's a story that I feel proud of, no matter of what, hap of what happened, because what happened is highly undetermined, unpredictable, outside of our control. But knowing that you behaved in a way that you're proud of, it's just super, super uh, empowering, right? Yeah, I think in the case yeah. of Viktor Frankl, it's it's definitely a book everyone should read, if only for the inspiration that comes from knowing that somebody who's gone through so many uh, travails and tragedies managed to yeah. to come out with his to hold his head high and continue uh, continue yes. on and do so many great things and be productive. And you're right; it doesn't mean that I'm sure he had. Uh, PTSD and everything related with having those traumatic experiences, but he really made the most of of what he was given. And to me, at a young age when I was still struggling with depression, that was definitely a big inspiration. Along with uh, Kurt Vonnegut's book, who is also a mm -hmm. a survivor of World War II, slightly different story, but just coming across people who managed to deal with tragedy tragedies uh yet pick themselves up and produce work and it's not in the sense that it has to be even financially successful work but exert their soul towards some greater good uh, which ends up really uh, also affecting them very positively yeah. um yeah with the stoics i recently so i'm 
more well versed in the work of, of Plato and what he tried to do. But with the Stoics, I really like recently the concept of uh, Euroia. So Euroia um, is good flow, literally good flow, mm -hmm. which tells you that recently we have this um, flow is, has been a buzzword for a number of years now. And people usually think about it as this kind of state of mind where you're in the game, right? It's very, you're supercharged and everything goes right. But in a setting where it's probably, you know, like at most hours long, you know, so maybe you're sitting there programming and everything works or you're shooting the ball to the basket and everything goes in. Uh, but for the Stoics, it was uh, more of a mood, this flow. So just the feeling that you yourself, uh, your parts, whatever they are, your soul is harmonized and is stabilized and goes through uh, a process of regeneration and so on over time. That is one aspect of having a good flow. And also through the days and years, feeling that there is just no hard obstacle in front of you that you're just so worried about that it makes your here and now feel terrible, you know, which is just yeah. this concept that I'm, I've fallen in love with mm -hmm. recently because I'm lucky enough to be able to look at the past few months in my life and realize, well, you know, any major crisis of what am I or what I'm going to do or something I has just been absent. And it's interesting because you realize that enjoying well-being is not a state of peak experiences necessarily. We're so used to thinking about mm -hmm. uh, living well from the perspective of having a lot of pleasure. So you look for peak after peak after peak, and you're mm -hmm. chasing these peaks. Um, and it's only after a prolonged time of, I think, doing something like you're doing, something like I'm trying to do, that you realize it's nice. I was walking on a plateau but not on a valley like at, at, mm -hmm. at the sea level, actually up here. So I, I'm not feeling the peaks, but in retrospect, I can see that I'm, I'm doing well and I feel all right. I feel healthy. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> what do you see for yourself? What do you wish for yourself going forward? Um, do you have your sights on any completely different domains uh, far away from, you said you learned the lesson not to identify with your expertise. Um, so can you give an example of something that you've tried your hand at that's totally different and going forward, do you have plans to branch out into co even stranger things, let's say? <laughs> Uh, no, um, definitely a very good point about trying to not associate myself. I try to be careful when I describe myself, uh, even uh, on social media and bios and sort of, I say to avoid labels in general, because I think they sort of pigeonhole me into thinking that I should be doing something or I should only be doing something that sort of, uh, I, I, I like the liberty again of considering many different things. Um, I, I tried, I'm trying with working as a business recently. It's something that's until just nine months ago, I haven't even tried. I started this as a hobby and 
the intent was to keep, you know, doing it as a hobby. Then I, I think, again, like at one point I realized, what if I start selling something just as an experimentation, as an experiment? And, um, you know, I don't know where it's going to go. So, so far it's sort of been a, a moderate small win, right? I, I sold some things. I only launched it like almost a month ago. Right? So still very early. Um, I'm making like uh, sort of wooden cutting boards so far. It's sort of the, I have like six designs and I've sort of been trying to sell them on the internet. Um, I sold 14, right? So it's not some huge success, but it was something right, that uh, helps me see whether I'm already noticing some patterns. Customers are going more for the cheaper options. So maybe there's, I need to add some more uh, sort of on those lines. or maybe I find some simpler products. Uh, but it's sort of, it has been something interesting right? that I started as a hobby. And again, like, uh, just to create some pieces of furniture for ourselves. I was noticing waking up in the morning and feeling like motivation to want to spend more time in the workshop doing stuff. I was also noticing sometimes I was overdoing it. I was spending like an all nighter and then I felt feel burned out. So I was sort of adjusting. And um, sort of then I started to realize it would be nice if I had to uh, sort of, uh, you know, monetize some of this interest and some of this hobby and sort of, Again, like I don't, I don't, I, I'm almost certain that I wouldn't be wanting to do eight hours a day working in the shop, right? Sort of, this would yeah. almost certainly be more than I'm willing to do. But it was some, if uh, I was getting a few orders every month and I weave them into my lifestyle and I can do them on, on my own terms in my spare time, uh, I would almost very likely enjoy it, right? And sort of this being sort of what I've been experimenting with. I, I I don't know what else. That's sort of part of part of what I like about my current arrangement is just I don't know what my next year 2022 is going to look like. Right? It's sort of um, it's this, and, and I have to say that because probably if you were asking me last year or the year before what I would have been doing now, I wouldn't have had a clue. Right? All the things that I'm doing now, I wouldn't have even imagined right to be doing. Right? Which is Again, like it would be foolish for me to try to predict next year, <laughs> considering how things have been have turned out. But I really enjoy this 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 association with labels, right? I really enjoy that I don't have to stick to a particular uh, job title, image, profession, and that I can experiment and try different things. It just again like opens my eyes to serendipity essentially like what we've mentioned before if i mm -hmm. ca called myself a programmer only right i would have never tried woodworking because it would have seemed like something that i shouldn't be doing right <laughs> so yeah. yeah i i really like the idea of i don't know what 2022 is is looking for me but i believe there is absolutely no reason why it shouldn't be great basically yeah <laughs> um yeah and so Lastly, before before I'd like you to share with us all the all the uh, venues where you uh, kind of present your work and ideas. But uh, as a last question, I'd like to ask you: Who are the people that you'd at least say to you should consider giving a try um, to the lifestyle first approach? Who is a who is a population, or even in terms of if you can address people in a 
don't know if you can do that, but mm-hmm. along the lines of like, if you're feeling X and that, maybe yeah. you should try doing that. Also in practical terms, like how much money should you have saved up to, to even do this comfortably? It's probably not two or three months. Yeah. So I think the general uh, sort of thing is who should consider is anyone that I think wakes up in the morning and doesn't look forward to their day, right? especially if it's chronic. Of course, we all have one days like that occasionally, but if it's like every day you wake up and you feel like you don't want to get out of bed, again, like benefit of the doubt to why are we feeling demotivated and chances are because our environment is not in harmony with us. And I think that's at least a point of reflection. Like chances are there's nothing wrong with us. You know, sometimes that might be the case, but chances are it's not us. There's a problem. It's our environment, our arrangement that we've created ourselves. Changing it is not easy. It never is. Right? Most of the times, um, there's no. It's not obvious what we should change to, and even if it's obvious or we know what to, you know, taking the plan, just changing your environment is always hard. But at least it's very important to be cognizant of that fact right and to try to sort of incrementally try to potentially try to eliminate some of the things that you're really disliking and maybe try to change some things that might help right i think it's a very useful um approach about how much money needs to be saved uh, this is an interesting topic that right? i talk about it uh, sort of often online sort of uh there's this it's very easy to fall into the trap that again, like you feel like you, there's nothing, nothing is ever enough, right? Because you can always, I mean, how much, how much savings are enough? How much wealth is enough? Right. And this is, is, is a challenge. And I think to avoid becoming like a hoarder where you're just always wanting to optimize your savings account and your rate of savings and your rate of growth and so on and so forth is again like to take a very stoic approach like negative visualization of you, you that you're saving mostly to be able to weather the storm so whether the unpredictable bad luck situation that can happen so I, I find it super helpful to try to imagine all the catastrophic things that could happen you know now that i have a family i have to even think like what if i die right get hit by a bus and i can't work anymore for most of these things luckily they're solvable by purchasing insurance, for example. It's not that big of a deal that you can, at our well, age... it's still a big deal if you die, Daniel. We don't want... No, no, to it's a big deal. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, you know, you make the best out of, out of how to avoid, you know, all the, uh, the biggest problems for my family. Right? Or for myself, like, what if I can't work? Like, what if I get, get an injury, right? Or I hurt my back and I can't, mm-hmm. you know, sit in my chair or whatever, right? Um, you try to imagine all these situations and you try to say, okay, what, what, how can I recover from them? In many cases, recovering, again, it's not that expensive by insurance, or you might just have a plan B, which might not be optimal, right? Maybe what if my house burns down? Maybe I go live with my parents for a while until I find another arrangement. It might not necessarily be that you need to have savings to buy a new house, right? And again, like, insurance helps a lot with lots of downside protection things so that but then there are things like that you can't really maybe even predict right and this is sort of why sometimes having some savings helps right or things that help you give some flexibility but i think it's sort of i like starting from um sort of the negative visualization part making sure that i have all the bad things covered right whether by savings or by 
purchasing or by just having a plan B, knowing that if this happens, that's what I will do. The attitude that I've taken is that once I have uh, those things covered, I try to not keep any excess wealth, to be honest. Like I try to spend it right now. I try to take advantage of it just to add. I, I, in general, I like to say, like I try to spend it by adding beauty in my life. And beauty doesn't necessarily mean material things, you know, improving, although sometimes that is thing. I appreciate the aesthetics and the improving my environment. But sometimes just even spend, like traveling, for example, that's just beautiful experiences with your family. It might not be something material that you possess for anything, but it just might be ways of, um, you know, because when we talk about spending wealth, it starts to sound like something like millionaires and billionaires. But I think if we're in a situation where we're making more money than what we're spending, that if your lifestyle requires you to spend X, and you're making X plus something else, you have excess wealth, right? So now there's this dilemma of, do you save at all? Or do you stop saving after a while? And sort of my rule of thumb has been save enough to cover all the negative things that I can imagine, right, to weather the storm, and um, then pretty much spend the excess immediately, right? Because then what's the point in keeping in spending? And I think, you know, the wealth hoarders tend to bring with them lots of other psychological ailments that I fell into this trap for a while, is that many people who I know that are always saving, always accumulating, they're also always worried, always worried about the stock market, the hyperinflation, the capital gains tax, and all these kinds of things. But I mean, why would you want that? Like you, you would think that one of the reasons of sort of being, sort of having being in a good position financially is to not be worrying about those things, right? So, so yeah. I think this is very, very, I mean, Seneca talks about this a lot, right, as well. It's just one one way of getting rid of these ailments is to get rid of <laughs> these possessions, essentially, right? right? And um, I think the best way, of course, I'm not recommending anyone just throw away their money, right? But um, it's the best use I think I found is to just spend uh, excess uh, on things that just add beauty in your life and in your life of your family, whatever those be. Obviously, they're super subjective. Right? Beauty is probably the most subject subjective thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I like, you know, home improvement stuff. I'm always improving, again, like spending time with my family, whether the experiences um you know even now here you know for us it's christmas time like sort of christmas decorations with with the kids like for them it's a magical moment so it's just yeah it's it's um they're not necessarily expensive things right but uh i think it's things that just add beauty in the life it's just memories that's that's the main forever or hopefully for a long time <laughs> yes and i think it it's worth po pointing out that sometimes the storms that you think you'll weather by having money really turn out to be things that nothing can fix so if yeah. you, if we're yeah. really looking at the at the major blows that life can deal us we have to recognize that uh no amount of money is going to fix that and uh, a, a good clue that lifestyle should be put first, I think a good example is of all the people who have had to suffer something terrible happen and then it made them 
change abruptly. So, mm-hmm. um, so looking at that, taking it seriously, and also, yeah, just looking at, at other uh, examples like that. Thank you so much, Daniel. Would you like to uh, share with everyone the uh, your your Twitter handle and whatever yeah. websites you're on where you're publishing your work? Yeah, absolutely. I'm active on Twitter, Divasallo, D-V-A-S-S-A-L-L-O. Uh, there's a link in my Twitter bio for my personal website, which has a bit more about my story, my my businesses and things like that. That's probably the best way to keep get in touch with me and to follow what I'm doing and uh, and and so on. <laughs> well, that was easy, uh, Daniel. Thank you so so much for for taking the time and and doing this with me. And I look forward to hearing more about your journey, which I find uh, fascinating and inspiring, I should say. And yeah, have a have an awesome day. Thank you. You too, Aya. Thank you. Thank you.